0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Katie. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from the series, Jonah, God's Mission in the World. Here's Pastor
1: Nick. And take notice of who they were and the way that they lived and they would want what Israel had and they would want to know Israel's God. You could call this an attractional model to relating to other people, right? So it's the attractional model. Jesus talked about this himself. He put it this way, let your light so shine before other people that they will see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. He's talking about the attractional model. Let other people see your life, see how you live for God so that they will glorify God as a result. In other words, love God, worship God, let your relationship with God be so vibrant, so life-giving, so that people will desire what you have and they'll say, I want what he has, I want what she has. That's the attractional model. Now for a long time in, in the history of Israel, this was the way that they related to other nations and other people. And to a degree, it worked. I mean, it says in the book of First Kings, for example, that in the time of King Solomon, the queen of Sheba, which is in Ethiopia, she sent a delegation to Israel to find out more about their practices and their religion and their God and who they worshiped. And there are, even to this day, Jewish Ethiopians who trace their heritage, their Jewishness, all the way back to the queen of Sheba and her trip to visit Solomon. And in fact, I've met some of these Ethiopian Jews and they're Also, another thing you should know about them is that many of them became Christians uh, around the time of Jesus in the centuries afterwards. Another thing that Israel did, God told them, build a city. And this city will be called Jerusalem, which means the city of peace, the city of shalom, the city of harmony. And here's what the names that Jerusalem was given. It was called the joy of all the earth. And it was called the dwelling place of the name of God. In other words, if you want to know God, if you want to meet God, then you need to come over here and you can meet him. It's the attractional model. But see, now God is doing something different with Jonah. God is calling Jonah to do something different. He's calling him to go, not not to attract, but to go as a foreign missionary to another country. And God gives him a message that he wants him to give them. Rather than being attractional, this is a new model. We could call it the missional model. Right? So rather than waiting for people to come to you, you go to them. Jonah was the first missionary, but he certainly wouldn't be the last. So let me ask you this. Which one is better? Because people argue about this all the time. Should churches be attractional or should churches be missional? The answer is they should absolutely be both. How about you and me as individuals? Should we be attractional or should we be missional? It's not an either or, it's a both and. We need both. See, Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world a city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. But in the very same breath, you know what else he said? He said, you are also salt. You are the salt of the earth. And the thing about salt that's different than light, right? So light can work from a distance, but salt doesn't. Salt has to be right up there in it, right? Salt only works when it's rubbed up, rubbed up against something. It has to be in close proximity. And these two metaphors, salt, and light, they are a picture of the ways that God wants us wants to use us in the world to share his love and to share the knowledge of him and his truth with, with people. So on the one hand, we're called to be attractional, drawing people to God by the way that we live and, and as they observe how the gospel changes our lives and makes us unique and different. It gives us different values. It gives us a hope that no one else has, even in the midst of whatever trials or difficulties life might throw at us. But on the other hand, we're also called to be missional, which means that we're called to go. Jesus was the ultimate missionary. He left his home, he went to a foreign land called by the Father. And Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, so now I also send you. And he said, I want you to go, go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the earth. And I want you to be my witnesses. Tell the whole world who I am and what I've done in your life. First nearby and then then a little bit further out and even to the ends of the earth. You see, salt has an effect only by getting up close, having close proximity by making direct contact. Now I want you to ask yourself this. What would it look like for you to be salt And light, both of those things. What would it look like for you to be salt and light in your workplace, in the relationships that you have? You know, again, as a church, I said, we want to be both of those things. We want to be attractional, right? So we want people to be able, we want to say to people, come here and learn about God, come here and worship God and meet God. We want to be attractional. We want to create also another way that we're attractional. We want to create a community of people who live so differently. People who, whereas the world is tearing down, people who build up, people who love God, people who love each other. It's a passionate, engaged, spiritually healthy Christian community where people show each other grace, where we build each other up. But at the same time, we don't just want to be attractional. We also want to be missional, right? So we want to take the gospel out of these walls to people wherever they're at. If they're not gonna come in here, we're gonna take it to them, right? That's why we do things like our our big Easter outreach. That's why we do foreign missions. That's why we do our radio ministry. That's why we have booths set up at festivals here in town so that we can meet people who live here so we have an opportunity to talk to them, build a relationship with them and share with them the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And again, if you wanna be part of that, we have tons of opportunities and I really encourage you to do that because again, attractional and missional, salt and light so along with doing that as a church, again, we, we encourage you to do those things on an individual level as well. For Jonah, though, understand this was completely out of the box. This, this wasn't a paradigm that he had. Nothing like this had ever been done before. So that's why it was a confusing calling. The, the, the last reason that I'll point out to you as to why this was so confusing is because he just didn't want to do it. And Jonah didn't like the Assyrians. He didn't like their culture. He thought that they were just a terrible group of people, and he didn't want anything to do with them. And at one point on, later on in this book, Jonah says to God, listen, God, if you're not gonna kill them, then please kill me. Like I'd, I'd rather die than live in a world where people like this are, are also believers. In other words, what he's saying is, if, there, if these people are gonna be in heaven, I'd rather be in hell. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like this. You know, God will never call you to do something without giving you the desire to do it. Are you sure? I just read about a guy, who, that's exactly what happened to him. Or, you know, if, if, if I don't want to do something, well, then I guess that means that God isn't calling me to do that thing. Well, here's a whole book of the Bible about a guy who was called to do something and he didn't want to do it, right? So I'm not sure that's the case. Think about this story and then ask yourself this. Is it possible that God might ever call you to do something hard or, or even, even dangerous? I think the answer that this book shows us is absolutely. Absolutely, sometimes he might do that. He could do that. But here's the thing I want to point out to you about that. The reason why Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted him to do was because he didn't see Nineveh the way that God saw Nineveh. You understand that? He didn't see the people of Nineveh the way that God saw them. As people he had formed in their mother's wombs, people he created, people whom he loved. Even though they were doing all these terrible things, God desired to show them mercy and bring them into his family. He desired to turn them away from their sin and redeem their lives See, if Jonah would have seen the Ninevites the way that God saw the Ninevites, then he would have been open to what God was calling him to do. And that's really one of the big lessons that God teaches Jonah here in this story. And it's an important lesson for us as well. So I I challenge you to ask yourself this, what are the areas of my life where my values are out of alignment with God's values, where I'm not seeing things or thinking about things the way that God sees them and thinks about them? So this brings us to the second major thing that we see in this story, and, and I call it this, how to find out what's really in your cellar. Now, what I mean by that is this. C.S. Lewis in, in Mere Christianity has this point where he says, if you want to find out if there are rats living in your cellar, there's only one way to do it. You have to surprise your cellar right? If you want to find out what's really living in your cellar, you have to surprise your cellar. In other words, if you go to the cellar door and you make a bunch of noise, you stand at the top of the cellar and say, I'm going down in the cellar, and you make a bunch of noise opening the door, flipping on the light, you know, pounding on the stairs as you go down, you're going to get down there. You're not going to find anything. Everything's going to look just fine. If you really want to know what's living in your cellar, you have to surprise it. You have to throw the door open, go down there, jump down the stairs with a flashlight, and then you'll see all the creepy, crawly things, right? The snakes and the the cockroaches and the rats and the mice running around and scampering around in your basement or in your cellar. Here's his point with that, by the way, is this. Our hearts work the exact same way. If you really want to know what's living in your heart, the way to find out is by those things in your life that you don't expect, that you're not prepared for, is by surprising your heart, you know, shocking it, flipping on the light when it's not expecting it, catching it by surprise. We see that principle here at work in two different ways in this story. First of all, we see it with Jonah, but secondly, we also see it with the sailors. Okay, so first, when Jonah is called, this is like a complete surprise to him that God is calling him to go to Nineveh, and and it just reveals what's going on in his heart. It reveals that he doesn't share God's heart for people he doesn't share God's heart for the Ninevites. He doesn't love them. He doesn't care about them the way that God does. It also reveals what's in his heart towards God. He flees from the presence of the Lord. It says that twice here in the first chapter. That's kind of silly, right? Like, how do you flee from God? If God's everywhere, he's omnipresent, then how are you gonna flee from somebody who's everywhere? Like, anywhere you go, he's there. Understand, he's not fleeing him locationally. He's fleeing him relationally. He's fleeing from relationship with God. He's fleeing from what God is calling him to do and and what God's calling him to be. He decides that he's going to go to Tarshish. Now Tarshish is in modern day Spain. Now remember, God called him to go to Iraq and he went to Spain, which at the time was, they didn't know about the new world, right? Like that's as far as you can literally get geographically from where God was calling him to go. So he goes down to Joppa, which is the port town, and there just happens to be this boat that's leaving for Tarshish at that very moment. I mean, we don't believe in coincidences, right? I mean, if there's a boat there and this is exactly what was thinking, I mean, maybe this is God, right? What a coincidence, can you believe it? The exact city he was thinking of going to, and there's a boat waiting to take him. I'll tell you this, if you wanna run away from God, there will always be a ship ready to sail and take you away.
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Katie of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: Don't think that just because you can do something means that you should do something. Don't just think that because something is available, that it's automatically from the Lord. Not every opportunity that comes your way is from God. And just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you should take it. Maybe some of you can relate to Jonah. Maybe you have been running from God. Here's the thing that you need to see. God doesn't let Jonah get away. God pursues Jonah. And the final verse of this chapter, here's what it says. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In other words, Jonah ran away, but God chased after him. God pursued him. And this is the great theme of the book of Jonah, that sinners run away from God, but God pursues them. It's not just Jonah. We see it with the Ninevites. God is pursuing the Ninevites. They're wicked, terrible Ninevites who've turned their backs on God. But God is pursuing them. He's loving them. He's seeking them. He's not giving up on them. He's not saying, hey, well, if you guys ever think about it, maybe you want to hang out with me or something. I'll be here. You know, you just, uh, whatever. I'll just leave it up to you. No way. God says, I'm pursuing you. I'm going after you, even if you're not going after me. This is the kind of God he is. He's a God who loves us so much. He doesn't just leave us to our own devices, but he pursues us, even if we run from him. If you've been running from God, know this, you haven't created any distance between you and him at all. He's right on your heels. In other words, he's ready. When you turn around, when you're finally ready to turn around and turn back to him and embrace him, he will be right there ready to embrace you in that moment. You see, when the sailors, when they, they also kind of have that light flipped on, they're surprised, Right? In their hearts, the storm comes. And what do we see? We see them praying. Now, I don't want to make too much of a generalization on this, but I mean, sailors are known for a lot of things. But praying isn't usually one of them, right? And so here we see, though, that faced with this storm, these sailors start praying. Mark Twain, the American writer, he was an outspoken atheist. He was an outspoken critic of, of, of Christianity. He did not like Christianity. He often wrote against it. He, he basically spoke and wrote about how Christianity was a religion for the weak-minded and superstitious people. But what's really interesting is that towards the end of his life, one of his close family members was sick. And in one of his writings, he admitted to his own dismay. He says, I found myself praying like a dog, like a coward, but I prayed. You know what that means? This man who was an atheist, he didn't want to admit it. He felt embarrassed that he'd done it. But here's the deal: storms. In our lives, difficult situations, crises, you know what they do? They reveal what's really in our hearts. And here's what's really in our heart. Deep down inside, we are God believers and we are God needers. In other words, we know that there is a God and we know that we need him. And in our day-to-day life, it's, it, it can be easy to pretend that we don't, but when it really comes down to it, when the lights flipped on, all of a sudden in our hearts, that's the truth. All of us know, that we need God and we know that he exists. So one of the things that's revealed again about Jonah's heart is that even though he's a professional prophet, even though he's a religious guy, there are areas of his life which are, not, which are off limits to God where he says, God, you can go in uh, these parts of my life but not this part. Now I don't want you to miss this because I think this is really one of the most important parts of the story. Who's the bad guy in, the story of, in this story? Well, um, who's the fool? Who's the messed up person? It's not the heathen sailors. I mean, look at these guys. They cry out to God. At the end of this chapter, we see them worshiping God and making sacrifices to God. And it's obviously not the Ninevites because when they hear that they've sinned against God, they tear their clothes and they repent and they turn back to God. Even the fish obeys God. The only person in the story who doesn't obey God is the religious guy, the preacher, the prophet. And what that means is this. It means that you and me, we're supposed to pay attention here. Because what it means is this, it's totally possible for you and me to be just like Jonah, to be a moral person who goes to church and maybe even serves in some capacity. That's Jonah, he serves, he's a prophet, a committed believer. But there were areas of his life that were off limits to God. And it took a situation like this to reveal what was really in his heart. When God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Jonah's essentially saying, God, look, there are parts of my life that you're welcome to, There are areas of my life that you are welcome to speak to me about and speak into, but there are other areas of my life that you're not welcome to, and and I don't want to hear anything about it. He's showing that God doesn't have lordship over all of his life. And so let me ask you this. Are there areas of your life that are off limits to God? Are there certain things which you won't let him speak to you about or change or mess with in your life? See, Jonah, he was, he was a moral upstanding person. Like he wasn't addicted to meth. He wasn't out robbing gas stations. He wasn't out stealing cars. Uh, you know, he, on the outside, he looks squeaky clean. You would never know that anything's wrong. Like he's a religious guy, servant, he's a prophet. But on the inside, that's, the problem was on the inside. It was in his heart. See, what Jonah needed was not just to clean up his life. What he needed was to be converted in his heart, and his soul, even though he was a religious person, he needed to be converted. Do you see that? He needed God to do a work of transformation in his heart, in the very core of his being. And if we miss that, we miss the point of the story. Let's talk about this final part, calming the storm. The grace of God in Jonah's life came in the form of a storm. I'll say that again. The grace of God in Jonah's life came in the form of a storm, You know, it's true of so many of our lives. Sometimes God does his most profound work. Sometimes his greatest grace in his life comes, or in our lives, comes in the form of a storm. Metaphorically, right? A crisis or a difficulty. When storms come, we almost always ask the question, why God? Why are you letting this happen? Well, here's in the story of Jonah, we see, why is God letting this happen to Jonah? Because he loves him. Because God wants Jonah. Because God wants to do a transforming work in Jonah's heart. So when the storm comes up, Jonah's asleep and they wake him up and they start asking him questions about his identity. Who are you? W- what do you do? Where are you from? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I, I worship the God who sent this storm. And, and he tells them there, I- I- he told me to do something and I ran away from it. That's the reason why this storm has come. I'm running away from God. And he says, guys, look, I mean, sorry, Th- this isn't about you. God's not after you, he's after me. And he says, so-, so just throw me into the waters of God's wrath so that you can be saved. I'll take the wrath so that you can be saved. What's Jonah doing? He's not just sacrificing himself for these men. He is doing that, but he's doing something else, which is perhaps more important. What Jonah's doing is he's finally surrendering to God. He's finally saying, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. No more resisting, no more running, no more excuses. I will completely surrender to your will and your lordship over my life, no matter what the cost. And the sailors are like, no, man, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. It says that they started throwing cargo. They tried to, tried to row back to shore. And then they realized it's not going to happen. Finally, they throw Jonah overboard. And the storm stops. And it becomes completely calm. And then it says that they turn and worship God. You'll notice this about Jonah everywhere he goes. Everybody turns to God, not because of him but in spite of him, like he was the very worst missionary ever. And yet he was one of the most effective. God used him in a great way. And I think that's encouraging because, uh, you know, it means this, you might just be like the worst at like telling people about Jesus, but you know what? He can use guys like Jonah. Okay. That means he can use you too. Jonah surrendered his, himself to the will of God, no matter what the cost. He had no idea how it was going to work out, but he avails himself completely to the will of God and he lets them cast him overboard. And as they do, the storm is calmed. But both the literal storm and the medical, metaphorical storm going on inside of Jonah's heart and mind, he clearly thought he was going to die. And we'll see that in the next chapter. In chapter two, he wakes up and he's like, whoa, I totally thought I was going to die. Like, I can't believe I'm still alive. That God would show me that much grace. Why is Jonah alive? He certainly doesn't deserve to be alive, does he? Why did God give Jonah a second chance? Years later, Jesus was speaking to a group of Pharisees and they were asking him to prove his claims that he was the Messiah. They said, how are you gonna prove that what you're saying is true? You're the one who God sent to be the savior of the world. And Jesus said this, I'll give you one and only sign. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah for just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, for three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Then he said, behold, the one who is greater than Jonah is now here. Who's Jesus talking about? Who's the one who's greater than Jonah? He's talking about himself. He is the true Jonah. See, what happened to Jonah is a foreshadowing of who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do. He, Jesus, is the one who was cast into the true storm of God's wrath in order that we might be saved from the storm that we created. He took what we deserved in order that we might be saved. Earlier, I mentioned to you this. I said one of the greatest tensions of the Old Testament. It's an unresolved tension. How can it be that that this is how it works? This question that God is at the same time both just and merciful because those two things, seem to be absolutely contradictory, even by definition. If justice is giving someone what they deserve and mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, then if God shows mercy, isn't he being unjust? And yet the Bible says that God is both. He is both just and merciful, perfectly just and radically merciful. Isn't that a contradiction? How can this be? And the answer is this, the answer is Jesus. You see, the reason that God can be both just and merciful is because of Jesus, because he took what we deserved so that we could have mercy. And this gives us a new word, which is grace. Grace is getting something which you don't deserve. And that's what Jesus did for us. See, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth came to the earth and took our judgment himself so that we could be saved. It was the ultimate act of grace. He was the ultimate missionary who left his home, went to a foreign land, to an adversarial people, to follow a calling, to do something very difficult. And he submitted to the will of God, even unto death. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering over death, so that by him, we might have everlasting life. That is the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this. Because of who he is, because of what he has done for you, you can confidently do what Jonah finally did at the end of this chapter. You can stop running from God and you can embrace God's will for every area of your life because you know that he loves you with perfect love and perfect love casts out all fear. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of Jonah. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that in the story of Jonah, we would see ourselves. We would also see, Lord, how much you love us. Lord, we pray that we would see this. We would see what you have done for us, that, Lord, you were cast into the storm of the Father's wrath so that we might be saved. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. But thank you that you are the just God, and yet you show us mercy, and you show us grace because of Jesus. Lord, help us that we might cling to that and trust in it and rely upon it. And Lord, as we, as we move and do these baptisms next, Lord, we We are excited for this symbol of just that, of death and rebirth in Jesus. I pray for all of us, you'd help us as we go about this next week to keep these thoughts in mind, these things that we've read and that you've spoken to us through this text. Lord, reveal what's really in our hearts that we might align ourselves with you and that we might do what Jonah said. I see that you love me, Lord. I see that you're gracious and merciful to me. Therefore, I give my life to you. We pray that in Jesus' name.